0: Have your Bibles open them to Amos chapter 5, and I want to read verse 24 where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day
1: from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev. Kev, he is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the Coffee House at Second and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. Good morning. And good morning, Pastor Kevin. Good morning. We are uh, we are doing a special episode of uh, Floods of Justice slash Franklin Community Church. Um, so you can you can kind of give us the... The lowdown on the plan for today
0: yeah well what we're going to be doing during this um uh, particular time and history that we're in where we can't have public worship services right now is um you know instead of live streaming a worship service that seems somewhat canned uh, we thought we would uh, use our platform of the uh of the podcast and uh but what we're doing today is um uh, we're we're doing the podcast, but we're also videoing it. So he- hello out there on the video camera. Uh, and so then we'll have this on our podcast channels, but then also on our church's YouTube channel. Uh, Franklin Community Church is uh, the YouTube channel. And uh, so people may want to watch us uh, or they can just listen to us. My hair look yeah, okay. Your hair looks great, man. It looks great. And um, and then we'll also what we're going to try, and I use the word try because we're just going to see how it works, is I do have some study notes with, uh, with the, the lesson for today. It's, it's going to be more of a lesson. I still want to have a conversation, but it's going to be different from my other podcast. Uh, but I, but, so it's a lesson, and I have study notes, and we're going to try to put a link to the study notes in the descriptions uh, on YouTube and on the podcast. So if you're interested in that, you can uh, just uh, hit the link. And uh, and then a PDF will come up of just some study notes from what we're going to talk about today. And so um, basically, it's it's not really a sermon. I'm, I don't want to really preach. Uh, I may get preachy at times, but I don't want to preach. I just kind of want to do a lesson, a Bible lesson, and talk about some things. Um, and uh, of course, today what I want to talk about is what's going on and uh, what we can learn in history from. Uh, uh, from that, so we'll see how it goes, and if it goes well, then for the next two or three weeks, while um, uh, while we're prohibited from getting into the school that we use for our worship services, um, then then we'll do this. And so, please, 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 give us your comments. Uh, um, you know, let us know if you if you like this format, and and if you get anything out of it. If you got any questions, and so it's a podcast, but it's also more of just a, a Bible of a, a Bible lesson, and it's taken to place of our Sunday morning worship services. If you haven't had
1: a chance yet, um, you can listen to an episode we recorded yesterday on the coronavirus. And today's discussion is kind of a continuance of of that conversation. That was an excellent podcast with guest uh, CZ Curtis Zachary from Church of the City joined us for that. Um, You don't need to listen to it before you listen to today's, um, but if you want to go listen to that and then watch today's episode, you can hit pause. Um, Otherwise, just listen to it afterwards, subscribe, um, uh, and today is going to be a little more in depth than, than what we discussed yesterday.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really today, uh, what I want to do, and if this were a sermon and I kind of outlined it, like I do my sermons, if I was, you know, I prepared this the same way I, I would prepare a Sunday morning sermon. And so, um, I've, I've titled this lesson for lack of a better word, once in a lifetime, but not unprecedented. And what I mean by that is we're living through a unique time in history. Uh, obviously, things are different. I was thinking today, um, you know, who would have dreamed just three weeks ago that we would be where we are today, where the streets are empty, um, people are staying at home, uh, people are hurting, businesses are hurting. You know, and three weeks ago, man alive, it was, <laughs> you know, everybody, every, everybody seemed to be doing great. And now here we are. And so it's unique to us. But if you look back through church history, especially, and that's what I want to do today, is I want to go back and look at some things in church history, uh, some plagues that that ch- in church history that churches and Christians had to go through, and how they responded, and then draw some lessons to uh, uh, to us. And I think up front, what I want to say is the, these plagues that I'm talking about that happened in history and how the churches uh, served during that time far worse uh, than what than what we're experiencing as far as the death toll and all of that is far worse. I don't want to minimize what's going on today because today is serious. But at the same time um, the things that uh, Christians had to live through in the past uh, are far, far worse than what we're experiencing right now. And, uh, but we can learn from them so that we can handle this situation I think better and then prepare ourselves for what may, uh, or, may not, or may not happen in the future. And so before we get started, let me pray, and what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to read a prayer, and uh, this prayer, since, since we're talking about church history, this prayer comes from one of our early church fathers, uh, Clement of Rome, who lived in the first century, and, uh, and so just let me read uh, his prayer. Here's, here's what he prayed. We beseech thee, Master, to be our helper and protector. Save the afflicted among us. Have mercy on the lowly raise up the fallen, appear to the needy, heal the ungodly, restore the wonders of thy people, feed the hungry, ransom our prisoners, raise up the sick, comfort the faint hearted. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's get started. Um, and, uh, Kevin, you interrupt me anytime you want to, All right. <laughs> if you got a question or yep, a thought yep, or you want me to yep, go back yep, and yep, say something, yep. uh, again, but as we've already said, we're living in, in, strange times. And, uh, I was talking again with someone just this morning before I came over here about, uh, the strangeness that we're living in. She, she's a minister, one of the local pastors, and we were talking about some things and just this idea that three weeks ago, four weeks ago, for sure, none of us would have dreamed that we would have been in this particular situation. The speed at which things have changed um, have really been overnight. And churches now are trying to figure out how do we stay in community, how do we, how do we best serve uh, during during this time. And uh, as I was thinking about that too, I also had the thought that, you know what, if you go back to the beginning of the year, when the clock struck midnight on December 31, 2019, and uh, we all talked about optimism and looked optimistically into what 2020 was going to be like, I don't think any of us expected that we would be experiencing what what we are experiencing. And, um, you know, some people think that it's the end of the world, you know, or at least the sign of the end of the world. Uh, Some people think that uh, things have been overblown and overhyped, and this is much ado about nothing. Uh, Some people blame the president, some people blame the media for us getting to this situation where people are living in fear. And and really, few people really know uh, who to trust. Uh, There have been so many contradictory messages out there about what to do and what not to do, then it comes down to to who do you trust? Um, But in spite of that, there is no doubt that what we are going through is a -a once-in-a-lifetime event, Um, but it's not unprecedented. It's it's not the first time something like this has happened. The world has been through this before. Um, Churches have survived similar circumstances. Christians have lived and died through similar circumstances. And so I think, and what I want to do today is I think we can learn a lot about faithfully following Jesus today if we look back to the past and see how uh, believers follow Jesus during those difficult times. And so that's kind of where we're going, we're going from today. And uh, just a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 19, um, Jesus is with his disciples and uh, he, he's been ministering and now he's walking with them and he asked them, who do you say, who do people say I am? And so Jesus was wanting to know what his reputation was, really. And the disciples started asking, some people say that you're a prophet, some people say you're a teacher, some people say uh, that uh, you're John the Baptist, which would have been interesting because John the Baptist was a contemporary of Jesus and had died, and so, you know, so you were like a John the Baptist. And then Jesus turned and turned to the disciples and said, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And in Matthew 16, verse 16, Simon Peter answered Jesus and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so uh, I chose that because that that passage, because that really is the beginning of the church. Jesus said on this confession of faith that he is the Messiah, that the church will be built and the gates of hell cannot prevail. So uh, a pandemic cannot prevail, is not going to win against against the church. But also if you know anything about church history, uh, then um, the church was birthed in conflict, you know, um, the Jews were oppressed and then, then Christ was crucified and then the early believers were, were immediately, even before they really got a chance to get grounded, uh, persecution started. And so the church was birthed in conflict, but yet the church also thrived uh, during those times of trials and tribulations. Um, there's an old saying that goes something like this, that you know, the blood of the martyrs was the soil in which the church uh, grew. And so it's really kind of odd that sometimes it is in the difficult situations that the church really shines through the most and, um, and, and grows the most. And so the church throughout her history has cared for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the prisoner, the sick, and all who were outcast. And oftentimes um, they cared for the people in the margins of society and as a result became part of the margins of society uh, the, themselves. And oftentimes they did so endangering their own lives to do, to do that. They sacrificed themselves uh, in, order to, uh, in order to be the church and then they would become poor and marginalize themselves. And so we can learn from them. Uh, you know, we, we, I think one of the problems that we've had in the church in the United States lately is that we don't really understand the term sacrifice. What does it mean to sacrificially follow Christ? Well, in times like this, We can learn from our history about what it means and then hopefully model that as well. And so a couple of other verses just to kind of get us thinking in this way. Uh, In Luke chapter nine, verses 23 through 25, uh, uh, Luke records, then Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And that's where that sacrifice comes in. And then Jesus says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me will save it. And what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? And then of course, Jesus told us in John chapter 15, verse 13, he said, greater love has no man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. And you know, we've heard that in theory, but maybe there's a day coming when we're we're gonna have to step up and really be willing uh, to do that.
1: Was well, there anything culturally and historically that, that might set the foundation to, to understand the, the first century Christian the viewpoint at that? Because I feel like in modern times, we can be so disconnected in this idea of church growth or you know what did church growth mean in the first century versus now? What did the spread of Christianity mean first century versus now? What did What did the value of somebody's life <clears throat> mean in the first century versus how we value our individual lives? today? Is there anything?
0: Yeah, well, you know, um, whether people want to admit it or not, Christianity um, comes out of Judaism, and Judaism was more of a communal faith than an individual faith. Um, And so, in essence, what is best for the community is more important than what is best for me. And so the early church had that philosophy uh, deep inside of them that, that more important than my needs being met or that the community's needs are being met more important than individualism was, was uh, society. And, but at the same time, that put them at odds. The Roman, the Roman um, Empire was a very, very strong empire. I mean, they were the superpower of the day. Um, and for their day and time, they were very, very modern. They were on the cutting edge of everything. And the Roman citizens, you know, they had a great economy. Things were going well. Um, they thought they would never uh, be any different than they, than they were now. And then this group of Christians, who for the most part uh, came from um, um, the the poor, from the oppressed people, Jews, and then also just poor Gentiles, uh, and then they formed this church, and then they immediately started helping one another. And Acts chapter two tells us that. And so the culture in that day was was not quite a caste system, but almost a caste system, where you had um, you know the the lower class, upper class, middle class, but it was more of a caste, and there didn't seem to be any moral responsibility. To help people, if you were from the, in the upper echelons of society, there wasn't any moral responsibility to help people who were in the underclass because they were in the underclass for a reason. They're, and so you were messing with the social order of the day. Um, and, so, and so when when the Christians came about, in Acts chapter 2, it starts telling us they were selling what they had. They were making sure that among them there was no poor. Among them, that everyone's needs were met. And that that threw a, a wrench into the social fabric, and that's really what what started causing the persecution. I mean, it's it maybe hard to imagine, but because the early church was caring for the poor and the widow and the immigrant, and caring for the sick and the prisoner, and doing all those things Jesus said in Matthew twenty five, that's what turned the anger of society against them, because you didn't do those kind of things. You stayed in your lane, uh, and so then persecuted. So persecution started. Uh, because of that, and then it continued as we'll see as we talk about some of these early plagues. Uh, that was the same thing. Here were the Christians uh, giving their lives, helping people, and instead of being applauded, society came down on them hard uh, for that. And so, in a lot of ways, the culture was like ours. There, you know, there was a lot of different belief systems. Um, you know, as long as you gave honor and respect to the emperor, you could believe whatever you wanted to believe. Uh, and so, and so, but don't disrespect the emperor. Um, and uh, and there was this no thought of there's only one way and all of that. Um, financially, things were going well. The economy was well. There was peace because the Roman uh, Empire was so strong. Uh, you know There may have been little conflicts out there, but they, they weren't in a world war or anything like that um, until a later on into the first century. But in Jesus' time, the Jews were oppressed. The Jews had it difficult. Um, but uh, if you were Rome, a Roman citizen, uh, life is pretty good for you. Uh, from that um, and so uh, another verse then that is key to this is Matthew 7 12 which we call um, the, the golden rule where Jesus said so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you for this sums up the law and the prophets and so as we move forward in ha- whatever this crisis looks like and however long it looks like a guiding principle for us should be that we treat others the way we want to be treated um, and really live that out and so You know, and so that will affect how we grocery shop, how we hoard, uh, how we treat one another, because it's like, okay, I've got to treat this person like I would want to be treated. Not like how I'm treated, uh, but how I want to be treated. And so living out that golden rule, uh, I think, is important. So throughout her history, the church has ministered in and through various natural disasters, wars, plagues, and pandemics. And the overriding principle for followers of Jesus during these dark times. was that one's life must always be regarded as less important than that of your neighbor, and you see that time and again throughout church history. Um, you know it's hard for us to grasp that because we were so used to independence and individualism. But in the in the early church, the other person's life is more valuable than my life. Um, and uh, and now, how do we live that out? That's the that that's really the issue. In other words, for the follower of Jesus, sacrificial service is of higher value than safety and security. Whereas in our culture, safety and security is the primary thing. But for the follower of Jesus, no, sacrificially serving my neighbor, loving my neighbor as myself um, is a higher value than safety and security. And so am I willing to sacrifice myself so that my neighbor um, has what they need? That's kind of the question that we're you know that, that we're faced with uh, right now. Among other things, what I think that means is that instead of fear, as followers of Jesus, we're to walk in hope. Uh, instead of hoarding, uh, we're to be giving. Uh, instead of fleeing, we're, we're to stay put and instead of isolation, we're to live in community. And but we do that praying for God's protection, but also realizing that, that we're putting ourselves in harm's way at times by doing that and we may have to pay a steep price for doing so and so i trust in god's sovereignty and i walk in the type of courage that only the holy spirit can give and i think that's what we're all called we're all called to do um, and so listen to these words from the apostle paul this is philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through 11 paul says but whatever was to my profit, i now consider loss for the sake of christ what is more i consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing jesus Christ." Uh, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish. And uh, you know that the Greek word "rubbish" there is really a curse word. Uh, and so, you heard it here. First. And so <laughs> Paul is cussing in Scripture uh, awesome. that he's basically saying, you know, it, 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 it's dung—the <clears throat> word, um, mm-hmm. so manure, however you want to say it. He yes. said, but I'm considering, I'm considering everything as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is my faith. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Now, that's important. And Paul said, I want to know Christ, but I want to, but I know that the way I get to know him is through suffering, not through health and wealth but through suffering, becoming like him in his death. Now, how many of us really want to be crucified, right? And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And so again, the overriding principle in scripture and the early Christians really lived this out was that I will sacrifice everything, even my life, for the sake of the other person. Um, And that's a heavy burden from that. What what are your thoughts on that when you hear that? Well, I mean... i've noticed a change
1: since uh since getting older you know in my youth when i was single and it was just me that i had to take care of i was i was a lot more cavalier in my in my behavior and my faith and my you know evangelism and and then you have kids and you have a wife and and things change so i, I hear what you're saying and and it's like, oh man! In in theory, I would love to be hundred percent gung ho. But I do feel this this pull going. Uh, you know, not that I would ever want to neglect my neighbor, but in the process of neglecting my neighbor, if it if it takes my life, and then my son, who's only five, doesn't have a dad growing up like that, that hits me. That hits me hard. Um, so, I, I, you know, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying at all. I'm just saying that that is a struggle.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's what makes this time so important because again, not to minimize what's going on right now, because people are dying from this and, uh, and more people are going to die from this. Uh, but it's not like what we're about to talk about. Yeah. And, um, but yeah. And so now the, I think those are questions that as believers, we've got to start asking ourselves, how much am, am I willing to give up? How much am I willing to sacrifice? Because, you know, I, and, and again, it's, it's the same thing. My kids are grown. and So maybe I look at it differently uh because, yeah, okay, I, I can't sacrifice my life for this person and leave my own family in destitute. Uh, but yet, okay, what? what? But this is what Jesus says. And so I, I think it's a good time <laughs> during all this self-quarantine that we really do some soul searching and that we really, what does it mean to follow Jesus in difficult times? And uh, our answers may be different, but the question, that question, I think, should be, should be what's uh, in, in the front of our minds now, because um, I don't know if we'll ever return to normal. I don't know what normal is going to be anymore. Yeah. You know, if it only lasts a couple of weeks, we'll get back to normal, no problem. But if this lasts for months, or as one person said, maybe 18 months. Things are, <laughs> you know, and so let's, let's, let's grapple with these questions, I think. Uh, during this time.
1: Well, and for the record, I, I have I have older kids as well, so I have yeah. a young kid, and then I have older grown kids. So, in you know, and and there is a there's a difference in in feeling like, well, I've imparted as much as I can to the older ones, and they're adults and they're they're functional. And then you have a young child, and you know, my my mom passed away from cancer when I was young, and I had younger siblings who were even younger than I. Yeah. So I've I've seen the the impact that that it has on, on people when they lose a parent at a really young age, um, regardless of the reason why it's, it's, yeah. uh,
0: it's still tough. Yeah. It, you know, again, I, these, I want, I want us to be encouraged today, but I also want us to, to start really. Coming yeah. Don't up. let me be so negative that I drag this. down. No, 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 down. no. These are just things that I, yeah, no, but, but that's good. Cause that's why I want people to, to struggle with this and, to, uh, and to, and to wrestle with it a little bit, that things are changing. Yeah. And, uh, what it means to follow Jesus um, come April 1 is a whole lot different than what it meant to follow Jesus January 1.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, well, and in America, it's different too because we haven't had the, the political persecution of being yeah. a Christian. You've been free to practice being a Christian, to evangelize yeah. as, as much as you want. But now when that evangelism means I'm going to clothe or feed somebody who, who might be sick, yeah. and I could be and you could sick, in sick in the process, yeah then it's totally different. It's not the government that's beating down on me to go, well, do I really stand for what I believe in? Am I going to, you know, is, is my faith really strong? It's like, no, there's nobody watching. It's just you and God and and a, a virus Yeah. going, is that going to stand in between you and what God exactly. is calling you to do? Exactly. Yeah.
0: So that, let's let's look at, it's I want to bring up three times in church history where there were some plagues. And again, these not to minimize uh, the coronavirus, but these plagues were... Um, more deadly and uh and how the churches or at least what little bit of evidence we have from church history how the churches responded uh during this time and so the first one is called the the uh Antonone nine plague and antonian plague i guess would be the best way to say it and i encourage you to google these up and, and do some research on them and this was 165 to 180 ad okay um, and we'll have this in the in, yeah, program in the study notes, notes in the study notes it should be there uh, but it was named that because it occurred during the reign of a Roman emperor, Marcus uh, Aurelius Antonius. Uh, now, it's also called the Plague of Galen because Galen was a Greek physician who was really the one who documented a lot of what happened during that, uh, during that time. Now, to put this in the historical context, Jesus was crucified sometime around 33 AD, depending on when you date his birth. But so sometime in the mid-30s, Jesus was crucified and John, the last of Jesus' disciples, died around 100 AD. And so then we're talking 165. And so a generation or so after the last um, kind of eyewitnesses of Jesus. And so the church would have been about you know 100 years old, 75 years old when this, when this plague hit the Roman Empire. And according to some people, this plague was responsible for killing up to 25% of the Roman Empire. Now our country is 300 million and so 25% of that would be, what, 80 million or something like that? Um, but, uh, uh, but 25% of the Roman empire was killed. And some scholars, however, believe that this plague, uh, as horrible as it was, uh, led to a tremendous spread of Christianity. And so Christianity exploded during this time. Uh, and they say so because the Christians cared for the sick and they offered an alternative to mythological beliefs that plagues with the work of angry and capricious deities. Instead, Christians believed and modeled that sickness were the result of a broken world, and in the brokenness through his people, the love of Christ shined through. Now, let me kind of break that down. What that means is, you know, in ancient times, there was this theory that when bad things happened, it was because the gods were angry. And so, uh, let me say this clearly. we got to be very, very careful about saying that this is happening because God is angry. You know, no, no, it's happening. And what the Christians were saying was, no, this is not because some God is angry. What the Christians were saying is this sickness is just simply a result that we live in a broken world and there's sickness, you know, and there's and there's plagues and there's bad things happen because our world is imperfect. But in that brokenness, they stepped into the brokenness and showed the love of God and that love of God caused people to come to Christ. And that's how. And so, instead of trying to say God is angry with us and this is this is God's punishment on us, it's like no, no, no. What the Bible teaches is that we live in a broken world, um, and that there are bad things that happen. But yet, in the middle of that brokenness, you can see the love of God through the sacrificial works of His people. And so that drove people to Christ. And then I came across this, uh, and this is a quote from um, the Ancient History Encyclopedia online. So this is a secular you know, uh, reference that that talks about what Christians did during that time. So this is kind of long, so I'll read it fast. Um, But here's what the ancient history encyclopedia says. The effect of the illness was not confined to the military and economy. Marcus Aurelius launched persecutions against Christians who refused to pay homage to the gods, which the emperor believed in turn angered the gods whose wrath made itself known in the form of this devastating epidemic. So, So did you get that? The market. The emperor said, we've got to sacrifice to our gods. Um, and that's why we're being punished. And the Christians were saying, no, 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 we're not going to sacrifice. Yeah. Um, and so persecution started um, uh, from that. Ironically, the anti-Christian attacks produced the opposite effect amongst the general population. Unlike adherence to the Roman polytheistic system, Christians believed in an obligation to assist others in a time of need, including illness, So Christians were willing to provide the most basic needs, food and water, for those too ill to fend for themselves. This simple level of nursing care produced good feelings between Christians and their pagan neighbors. Christians often stayed to provide assistance while pagans fled. Furthermore, Christianity provided meaning to life and death in times of crisis. Those who survived gained comfort in knowing that loved ones who died as Christians could receive the reward of heaven. The Christian promise of salvation in the afterlife attracted additional followers, thus expanding the growth of monotheism, the belief in one God, within a polytheistic belief in many gods culture. Uh, the gaining of adherents established the context in which Christianity would emerge as the sole official religion of the empire. Now, that took another couple hundred years, but Christianity started to get a foothold in society because of this plague And instead of fleeing from the plague, they were willing to go in there and serve and take care of the sick and the needy, even if it meant that they were at risk of getting sick themselves. Yeah, is is the idea. Um, And so that's one play. Uh, And then real quick, yeah. And I I
1: don't mean this as a criticism. If you are a friend of mine on Facebook and you have made a post similar to this, this is I'm just discussing this. But I've I've seen the the evangelical strategy of do you know where you're going to spend eternity if you haven't made your decision yet you know and and they with good intentions share their heart about why god has changed their life and why they find uh, salvation through that um, in history what i'm hearing is that they i don't know and in, their inv- their evangelism was in in service and feeding and treating the sick was there we don't have facebook posts from you know these plague eras but was there evidence that they that they talked at all about someone's eternity in the context of that, or was it purely just about service? That they, that they you know, what I'm saying? Yeah, was there an yeah, no, ulterior motive? And, yeah, no.
0: I think they would talk about eternity, but it wasn't like you know, I was brought up obviously in a very conservative evangelical world, and I was trained in door to door visitation where you go and you ask those people those questions. Sure. Where uh, if you were to die right now, where do you know if you go to heaven or hell? And uh, and I'm glad that I was taught that. I mean, I'm not I'm not knocking that. But in a lot of ways, it was like selling a vacuum, you know. Hey, I've got this product I want you to buy, and the way you buy it is to let me go through my spiel, and then you say this prayer with me. And uh, and there's lots and lots and lots and lots of real conversions that take place through that. So I don't want to minimize that. But it seems to me that the pattern in the early church was to be involved in the community, in society, serving the needs of people, um, and then out of serving the needs of people, I think you know Peter says in First Peter three fifteen. That you live your life in such a way so that people will ask you questions and then when they ask you questions you give the reason for the hope that you have and so and so the way i see the early church you know they would preach the gospel you see that in acts they would give a strong gospel message and they would ask and they would call for repentance but then through serving and through and through ministering to the basically following matthew 25 um the the parable of the sheep and the goats they would do that people would come to Christ, and they would come to church, and then at baptism, again, not to say that baptism was salvation, but at baptism, they would have to make a public proclamation of their faith. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And they would say yes, and then they would be baptized. And so, you know, basically, that's the only type of evidence you have of a sinner's prayer. That would have happened. They were already part of the church. Now it's time to be baptized, and they would make that public profession. But they came to that place because of um, the sacrificial service that they saw people um, giving in the name of Christ. So I think it wasn't, I think, it, you know, the ulterior motive is always to bring as many people to Christ as you want to. And that's a can. bad ulterior yeah. motive. But, not, it, not. but it wasn't, okay, we got to get this person to sign the dotted line so we can move on to the next person. It was this, you, you're now part of our community um, and now you're responsible now to help meet the needs of people as well. And so it's not one or the other, it's both. But in our individualistic society, we've emphasized you got to say the sinner's prayer. And that's what makes you a Christian. And we de-emphasize the social aspect of the gospel. And uh, and it's not either or. It, it's both and. Let me live my life in such a way that people will ask, why are you doing that? And then, well, I'm doing this because of my love for Christ. Um, and then that that attracts people. From that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. We'll jump to the next thing. All right. Yeah. So the, the second plague is the plague of, of Cyprian. And uh, this is named after a bishop. Um, who talked about the plague in very colorful ways during his sermons, and I've read some of those sermons, and I'm not going to quote those, but you know, do a Google search because it, it, because it's really kind of interesting. Some of it's sad because he describes in great detail how horrible the sickness was, uh, but but he just had colorful language, and so they named the plague after him. Now this erupted in Ethiopia, so now we're you know Africa, but this but Africa and Egypt and all that still kind of part of the Roman Empire but it erupted in Ethiopia around Easter of 250 AD, so another 100 years, and now here's a serious plague. And uh, this plague lasted throughout the Roman Empire, some people say for 20 years, uh, dealing with this with this issue for 20 years. And at its height, the sickness killed as many as 5,000 people per day, um, at, it, at its height. Uh, but again, like the Antonian plague, the plague of Cyprian triggered the explosive growth of Christianity. Um, among other things bishop Cyprian's sermons encourage christians not to grieve for for the plague victims who were now in heaven but rather redouble your efforts to care for the living and that's to me what is interesting so it's like you know what don't grieve for the dead they're with god let's try extra hard now to care for the living and uh, that says a lot to me but you know what you know, it's kind of like just do what you can do. I can't worry about what happens. I mean, I can worry about what happens when people die, but once they're dead, there's not a whole lot I can do, but I can still serve uh, serve the living and, and try to make a difference. And so that's, that's where his emphasis was. Um, and um, his fellow bishop, uh, a guy by the name of Dionysius, who if I remember right, I, I didn't have time to look this up, but I think Dionysius... Um, could be traced. Obviously, he didn't live during that time, but there was a pattern from uh, John the Elder to Polycarp to these different um, church leaders, and Dionysius would have been in that uh, in that line. Um, but Dionysius, a, a fellow bishop, uh, described how Christians, quote, heedless of danger, took charge of the sick, attending to their to their every need. And again, from the online version of the Ancient History Encyclopedia. Uh, Here's what that encyclopedia says about this time. It says, only the, um, <clears throat> only the Christian church benefited from the chaos. The illness claimed the lives of emperors and pagans who could offer no explanation for the cause of the plague or suggestions of how to prevent further illness, much less actions for curing the sick and dying. Christians played an active role in caring for the ill as well as actively providing care in the burial of the dead. And if you think about it, in that day and time, if you're sick and I'm caring for and I'm caring for you, and it's a very infectious disease, there's there's a likelihood that I might get that disease. But when you die and I'm caring for your dead body, there's even a more likelihood that I would uh, uh, that I would get I would get sick. But you can't just leave these dead bodies lying around. Somebody's got to take care of. Them. And so the Christians were the ones who stepped into place. Um, and and did that, caring for the burial of the dead. Those Christians who themselves perished from the illness claimed martyrdom while offering non-believers who would convert the possibility of rewards in the Christian afterlife. Ultimately, this episode not only strengthened, but helped to spread Christianity throughout the furthest reaches of the empire and Mediterranean world. So again, Christianity spread. It's almost like when things are doing good, Christianity becomes irrelevant. But in the middle of a crisis, all of a sudden Christianity uh, becomes the, the source of hope uh, from that. And people turn to that. Um, and so that's the second plague. The, the third plague, and there were, <coughs> excuse me, but there were many of these, but the third plague was the bubonic plague. And this plague started in Europe in the mid 1300s. Now there's other plagues, so I'm jumping ahead. And so now you're talking the 1300s, so 1,000 years later. Um, and, uh, and this plague would last for a while and disappear and then reappear throughout European history during that time. Uh, sometimes it's called Black Death. And so in 1557, so it started in 1300s, 200 years later. In 1557, the plague hit Wittenberg, Germany, uh, the town of the great reformer Martin Luther. And all Protestants traced themselves back the Reformation that Martin Luther started. And so his town got hit with this plague and, and people were told to leave the city, leave the city. Uh, Martin Luther refused the calls to flee the city and to protect himself. <clears throat> um, he stayed and he encouraged other Christians to stay and minister to the sick. And this is really what gets to me and, and back to your, your, your own son, his refusal to flee, but rather to stay and minister to the sick, cost his daughter Elizabeth her life. So he he survived the plague, but his daughter didn't. And uh, yeah, that's tough. <laughs> yeah. That's tough. And so not only am I putting myself in danger, but I'm putting my children in danger uh, from that. Uh, am, am I willing to make that sacrifice? And Man, that's, <clears throat> that's tough. But I think it's something that we just need to wrestle with. Um, And so he wrote a tract, which would be a booklet, really, which was quite common in that day. If you, you know, had a question, I mean, you didn't have podcasts, you didn't have, so you would write a a statement, a a, a statement paper. And so he wrote a tract called "Whether Christians Should Flee the Plague." All right. So if you want to know what it was about, it was about whether Christians should flee the plague. The title. (laughs) No, 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 um, guessing what he's writing about. And in that tract, he said this. He said, We die at our post. Wow. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals. Christian governors cannot flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregation. The plague does not dissolve our duties. Wow. It turns them to crosses. On which, on which we must be prepared to die. Take up your cross daily and follow. Now that's deep. And I'm not sure myself or most of us um, who follow Christ really understand that because things have been so good. And please, don't misunderstand. I'm hoping things get better you know, and this is just a flash in the pan. But depending on how you interpret some scriptures, things like this are going to become more and more common as we get closer to the return of Christ. And so are we willing to stand up and be the church? Where do you think
1: wisdom falls into some of this? You know, we its a, it's a bit apples and oranges. It's not like we can compare, you know, you see the footage of the kids down on spring break living it up. Yeah, uh, just disregarding all health concerns, um, but and then there's other stories of missionaries, you know, going to these uh, distant, isolated tribes when they were told not to, and they they yeah. lose their life, but they think they're trying to spread the gospel. Yeah. Where does uh, where does wisdom come into play on uh, should I do this or should I not? I know, and I know yeah. it's a little different. With the well, I think I mean I think
0: you gotta you gotta really believe that you're called, and not everybody may be called to that, but to a certain degree, Martin Luther in that track talks about that. Because yeah. while he says, stay in your post, he also in that track says, don't tempt God <laughs> and fumigate your houses, yeah. wash your hands. And so it's like, follow these common sense practices. you know. So don't, don't just, don't have that attitude, God's going to protect me so I'm going to do whatever. Because in reality, God may call you to do that and he's not going to protect you. But, you know, take that. So, so you got to put common sense into place. You got to think that through. You got to pray about it. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, you got to ask yourself: Am I willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of the gospel, or uh, is Christianity something that helps me out every once in a while? But when when I get back into a corner, I'm going to revert to taking care of myself and myself only. And uh, and and again, that's where the. If I can go back to what I said earlier during this time of crisis which is mild compared to what's happened in the past now is the time to ask ourselves those questions yeah. you know how are we going to how are we going to live so i don't know i mean again everybody has to decide for themselves what's interesting in the book of revelation uh one of the things and 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 you see some of this in some of the other uh, letters if you look closely uh but let's say and the early church talks about this a lot you know the church went through severe persecution you had a, a spouse and a child who was killed because of their faith in Christ. I, on the other hand, uh, compromised my faith and said I believe in the emperor as well and saved my family. Now, 20 years later, the persecution is over. Now I want to come back to church. Are you going to welcome me back to church? You, gave your, you sacrificed your family. I compromised. You know, ha- and because and we're all called to different places, now what would happen, the, the advice in the church was you extend grace to everyone regardless. And so that would be the advice of the churches that you extend me grace, even though I didn't stand when I should have. You know, uh, because everybody's different and everybody may not be willing. And so I think there's there's common sense, there's discernment that you have to come into play. But then at the end of the day, if a person feels, no, this is my duty to stay here and trust God for whatever, then, that, then that's what you do. You don't, you know, you don't flee yeah. from that. Um, but though, again, those are tough questions uh, from that. And so Martin Luther said, wash your hands, uh, quarantine your, op- your, your, your houses, um, you know, clean, be clean and all that. Do everything you can to avoid spreading the sickness even more. And so we practice good hygiene and sanitation, not out of self-preservation, self-preservation, but out of our ethic to serve our neighbor. And uh, there's been a lot of memes going on around the day. And my favorite meme is kind of this uh, cartoon picture of Jesus um, kind of pointing and winking at you. And then the meme says, love like Jesus, wash your hands like Pontius Pilate. Mm -hmm. You know, And that's kind of the idea. I'm going to do what I can. Um, I'm going to follow common sense, but I'm still going to serve Jesus uh, uh, through this, whatever the cost uh, may be. Um, and so consider this, and, um, and, and uh, I can't remember where I got this from, but this is a quote from an article somewhere. Early Christians created the first hospitals in Europe during this time as hygienic places uh, to provide care during times of plagues on the understanding that negligence that spread the disease further was in fact murder. And so it's kind of this, okay, I'm going to care for the sick knowing I may get sick, but I'm going to practice good hygiene and all that kind of stuff because if I, if I don't, I'm gonna spread the disease even more and, uh, and that's killing people, you know? And so one of the things that I've seen going around on Facebook today uh, is this idea, I'm, I'm self-quarantining, not for me, but for the other person, you know? So I don't come in contact with an elderly, person. I may have something, I don't know about it, and so I'm protecting you by, by isolating myself and, and that's the idea, I'm doing these things Um, not so much for self-preservation but to try to stop the spread uh, even more uh, from that and so more could be said about other plagues throughout history uh, that have happened and even about mother Teresa's care for the sick and the poor in Calcutta India Uh, but I hope that that you're you're getting the point you know this is this is how this is what it means to follow Jesus during this time Uh, temporarily social distancing makes sense and and will prayerfully stem the tide of this present pandemic. Temporarily ceasing public worship services to control the the spread of the pandemic through large gatherings of people is a way that we love our neighbors as ourselves. But ultimately, if this continues and if it gets worse, we as followers of Jesus should be the first ones back out into the community. Caring for those with the greatest needs, And meeting together to give praise to God, regardless of personal cost or fears. Now at our church, we say this a lot, and I think it's more true today um, than in the past. And we say this, the way we serve a God we cannot see is by serving those we can see. The way we love a God we cannot see is by loving those we can see. Uh, And so this is about following Christ, whatever the the results and whatever the cost. Uh, All right, so there's four takeaways. Uh, from this, hopefully, you're getting something out of this. It's gone on; we've gone on quite a while. <laughs> but four takeaways: um, you know, what should Christ followers do during pandemics? And so, based on the scriptures I read earlier, and then following the examples of our uh, of our early church fathers, um, four suggestions. One: sacrificially serve. That's the first thing: sacrificially serve. You know, if you've got some extra rolls of toilet paper, <laughs> give them away to people who really who really can use it, who weren't able to go and stockpile. Yeah. Uh, now you can do that by dropping off at the community center. We'll make sure they get distributed, but sacrificially serve. But two, on the hands, this is the balance, take necessary precautions. You know, take the precautions. I mean, wash your hands. Um, you know, I went somewhere today before coming over here and we had paper towels so that we didn't have to directly touch anything. Um, you know, uh, self-quarantine. Take, take all those necessary precautions. Sacrificially serve take necessary precautions uh, but then also stay in community and that's what we're trying to figure out how do we stay in community when we're asked to separate ourselves Uh, and that's the question that that i think every church is trying to figure out
1: well that was really the main conversation piece of the podcast yesterday so if you want to dive into that more yeah check out episode eight on the coronavirus yeah
0: so stay in community and and what i mean by that is you know self-quarantine Uh, But don't self-alienate. You know, stay plugged in. If it's a phone call, if it's through Facebook, stay plugged in somehow or another. And then the fourth thing, I think, as as followers of Christ during this time, we have to model peace, calm, and courage. Not panic, anxiety, and fear. Those are the things. You know, we're followers of Christ. We have hope. So model that. Peace, calm, and courage. Not not giving in to the... uh, uh, to the fear uh, that, That's going on around today um, So here's a prayer This is not from an ancient church father uh, but, but this is a prayer um, That was written specifically uh, for, the, for this pandemic Okay, uh, And we'll, we'll close with this prayer Dear Heavenly Father The source of all healing Cast the light of health And well-being On those who've been exposed to coronavirus, those who have contracted the disease, and those, God forbid, who contract the disease in the future. Bless them, protect them, and breathe and bring them speedily to full recovery. Bless all who are ill with healing of body, healing of soul, and healing of spirit. And Father, heal our anxiety and fear and replace it with love faith, and courage. We praise this in the name of Jesus, your son, who took all our sicknesses on him at the cross. Amen. Amen. Well, thank
1: you for joining us on this uh, episode of uh, Floods of Justice slash Franklin Community Church. Um, hopefully, as you said, the, the recovery time for this pandemic is is quick and we won't have to do too many more of these uh video series um for church and we can begin to regroup in community back at back at our church and you can all go back to your churches um in the meantime though um I know there's some resources in uh, downtown franklin i've seen the posts about uh meals for uh, breakfast and lunch for any child 18 and under um so if you are and it's drive through pick up on those so we can try and find the
0: yeah, and a couple, a couple other resources here at our community center in Franklin. Uh, we're going to try to have a, a meal once or twice a week. Um, I know, um, and it's just a meal you come and we give you a take uh, a take home container to go. So it's not a place to gather, but just to come get something to eat if you need it. We have food distributions here once a week on Thursdays. Uh, that could be beneficial. And uh, by way of prayer request, I had a meeting this morning uh, before. The, this is being shown on a Sunday, but we we'll recorded on a Friday. So Friday morning, I had a meeting. Um, that hopefully I'll know something later on. Um, that uh, there may be a space uh, that'll be donated uh, to us, um, so that during this, you know, you're asking people to self-quarantine, but yet we have homeless people who have nowhere to go. And so uh, there may be a space donated to us um, that for the months of April and May uh, we could have and. Uh, and people who have nowhere to go can come and stay in that, in that space uh, for those two months, just 24-7. Just, you know, stay there. Uh, so pray about that. If, if yeah, that's what God wants us to do, that, that'll open up. Um, but that, that can be invaluable for some, a lot of our friends who we know are living in cars and, and uh, uh, don't, have a, don't have anywhere to go. Uh, so that would, that'll be, and if that happens for those who are listening to this, who live in the Franklin area, we're gonna need lots of help of uh, cleaning up the space and then meals um, over, the next, uh, over the next two months. So that's just something to consider and think about. Okay. Well, the
1: conversation will continue. Uh, feel free to comment below on this, on YouTube, on Facebook, wherever you find this. Uh, again, check out the podcast, everywhere you find podcasts, Floods of Justice. Uh, and we will see you on the next episode. God bless. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin.